Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, from honey from the hun- than honey from the honeycomb. By them your, your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Rachel, thank you very much indeed. If you'd like to, do please keep your Bibles open. That would be really handy because we're going to look at them in a couple of different ways. Um, it's a real pleasure to be with you tonight. My name is Simon. Those of you who are uh, new or just settling in here, that's why I'm the vicar here at Christchurch. I've been here for about four uh, years, and it's my thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thank, thank you. And it's my pleasure to uh, be here. And we're going we're to look at Psalm 19 tonight, which is a great psalm. And the things I'm hoping that Psalm 19 will help us with is it will help help give words to to experiences that we have but don't always know how to describe. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it will help us uh, know what to do with those experiences and how to take them forward. Uh, so this is a really great psalm. So my, my hope is it will give you some words to help describe things that, that happen, which is what all great poetry and all great music can do. It can, it can take an experience that we've all had but it could just clothe it in beautiful words that help us understand and live those things. But then the second thing is that it does is it points us to where to go next after those experiences because it's asking the question, what do those experiences tell us about what it is to be a human being and to live on God's earth? So that is where we are going tonight, God willing. And I really hope that you get to enjoy this psalm and love it in uh, the way uh, that I do. Uh, The structure of the psalm is really, really simple. It comes in three sections, and if if you've got it there in front of you, it's on page 552 in the Bibles. Uh, There are six verses at the beginning, 
And in those six verses, uh, what the, the person who wrote the psalm, we think it was David, King David, what uh, David is doing there is describing how God speaks to us through creation. And, and it's, kind of, it's a very poetic, celebratory uh, description of that. Uh, then he goes on from there, the second bit, which is verses 7 to 11, he goes on to talk about uh, God not just speaking through his creation, but God speaking to us through the Bible. Uh, and we will look at that a little bit more. And then uh, the third bit, which is verses 12 to 14, what happens there is uh, the psalmist is helping us to see well, where does that land for us. Uh, so he's, he's, he's done some big describing about uh, the, what we see when we look out uh, the window up at the night sky. Then he's looked at what we learn in God's word. It doesn't leave us there. It then helps us to see uh, how we should uh, take that forward. So we start at the beginning at uh, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 19. Uh, this is, in a sense, the most important thing of the whole psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And um, what, what is he talking about there? What it seems to me is that he's talking about that, that experience or that set of experiences that many of us, maybe all of us, have had. And let me try and, and throw out a few and see if this rings any bells with you. So experience number one is... Uh, you climb up St. Catherine's Hill or St. Giles Hill uh, towards the end of the day, and, or you're there early in the morning, as some of us are on Easter Sunday. Uh, we look forward to that. And you see either the sun coming up or the sun going down. You see the whole of the landscape bathed in a kind of soft light. And you're kind of, your heart just kind of beats a little bit faster because it is so beautiful. And it's so vast, and it's so glorious, you just want to stop and look at it. Or uh, you're out uh, late at night, and you're somewhere where there's not much street light, and so you can look up, and there's a really bright moon, or there's lots of stars in the sky, and you just have that sense of a couple of things. Firstly, that people two, three, four, five, six thousand years ago were looking up and seeing the same thing. So you kind of feel connected back through history. And then you just have that, that sense of, oh my goodness, the vastness of the universe in which we live, uh, the vastness even just of our own solar system. And it's so big. And you start to run some of those numbers in your head about how far away our sun is or the moon is. And then you think how, far, you know, how long it would take to get to the nearest planet, all those different things. And we, we can't really grasp those things uh, for too long. The psalmist, writing about 3,000 years ago, is giving us words to clothe those experiences with. Uh, saying, the heavens declare the glory of God, and they proclaim the work of his hands. And the way I think that the psalmist wants us to imagine this is as follows. Uh, imagine that you're, you're going back tonight, back home to wherever uh, you've come from, and uh, you walk around the corner and you come across this most incredible sculpture. I don't know what it is of, maybe it's of a person or an animal or it's a bit of abstract art. But you, you still, and the first thing you notice is it, you know, it is beautiful. 
It's, abs- it's, it's startling, and it kind of stops you dead in your tracks. You think, that is amazing. And you kind of look at it from all different sides. And then as you're, do- as you're doing that, someone else comes up to you, and you start talking about this sculpture. And the person that comes up to you says, well, as far as I can see, the only explanation is this just landed here. It came from nowhere. No one made it. No one decided to put it there. No one put that together. It's just arrived. Ping. Uh, We can enjoy looking at it, but that's all it is. And you might argue back with that person, and you might say, well, it is lovely, but to me, that beautiful design suggests that there was somebody who had that in mind and who brought it into being. And the, the, the beauty of it su- suggests that there's somebody who wants to communicate to us through this sculpture. And the fact that it's there, standing on the street, suggests that somebody put it there. You could have an absolutely fascinating conversation along those lines. And what uh, the psalm is saying, and what we as Christians uh, believe, is that when we look at the glory of the world and of the created universe, what we see are the fingerprints of God all over this as a creator. And so when we see these things, it says to us, both in our heads, rationally, how else did this get here? How else did it come about? But also in our hearts for worship, these things point us to God. There's not even a hint here of our role that we see in other parts of Scripture, our role as caretakers of the creation, people that, are, that we're here to look after it. And we, we've, we looked at that a little bit last week, and we'll look at that in the weeks to come. Here, our only responsibility when it comes to creation in, at this point is just to stand back and go, wow, and to wonder at the majesty and the power of the God who made it. And this is a word I love, and to gawp at it. And not just stare, but to gawp in wonder as we see at what God has made. That's what we're being encouraged to do. And we're being encouraged to see that creation speaks to us, not in words, not in audible words that you can say, but speaks to us about God as powerfully as the most amazing sculpture or the most beautiful painting or the most incredible piece of music that moves our souls. And what we're encouraged to do is to look to creation and understand that in creation, we hear, we see God speaking to us. And so the impact of of this grand opening is to tell us that we should learn the language of creation, that we should spend time in it. So if you're a student and you're studying the sciences or geography or other things like that, you you should love that because that is part of your worship. That is part of seeing how God has put together our amazing world. We should be getting out so we see both the intricacy at microscopic level, but also the grandeur at the glorious level of all that God has done. There was a scientist, very famous scientist, at the end of the 16th century called Sir Francis Bacon. 
and he would be considered to be one of the foremost scientists of the modern age. And he said this, and I just love this quote from him. He said, God has provided us with two books, nature, the first one, the Bible is the second one, and we should apply ourselves to both. Isn't that a brilliant picture that God has given us both nature and the Bible uh, to talk of who he is and what he's like? And so if we want to know God as well as possible, we need to be students of both, of both the, the scientific world that we live in, but also of the Bible and all that God says uh, through that. So this can help us, I think, uh, because it will, will often be in conversation with people who share those experiences that we have of the glorious sunset or the night sky or looking uh, as we, we were out the other day, we saw this, that just the flash of a kingfisher as it, it dived down into the water and then zipped off again. It gives you words to say in situations like that because we as Christians would say that when we see these things and have those experiences, they are talking to us about the fingerprints of our Creator all over all that he's made. And when we see, therefore, beauty, and when we see wonder, we see these as signposts to a greater glory and a bigger mind than ours. And we understand that our quest for beauty uh, as human beings is actually not a quest for beauty in itself, but it's the quest or the search for the source of beauty. God himself. That's how God has put us together. And our search is always going to lead back to him. So that's what happens in the first half of the psalm, or nearly the first half. And we see the psalmist saying, look, look at creation. Look at the stars and the sky. Let me give you some words, he says, to understand what's going on. They are declaring the glory of God. They're like, they're like a choir that are singing about the glory of God and his extravagance and his generosity and his sheer imagination in giving us such a wonderful world. And then in the next section, he essentially says very similar things about the Bible, about God's word. Like the sun, the Bible reaches in to bring light and to reveal things, and to warm things, and to purify uh, things. It talks about the Bible as our treasure, and as our delight. It doesn't replace creation, it doesn't uh, supplant or displace creation, but God reveals wonderful things through the Bible in a decisive way. We, we, we wonder, we rejoice at what God speaks through his creation. Uh, but sometimes when we've, when we've had that experience, or maybe you've had that experience of thinking, well, I don't quite know much about the God who made this universe, but I, I'm absolutely convinced that there must be somebody or something that is lying behind the universe. And in those situations, we want to know more because we think, wow, if there's a God that put all of this together and put human beings in this incredible place, surely that is a God who wants to speak to us and show us more of who he's like. And the answer is yes. And in the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find a God that doesn't just shout his glory in creation, but also speaks gently and lovingly 
but also clearly and decisively uh, through uh, the Bible. Now, the psalm, it could have ended there, and it would have been a great psalm or a great poem or a great song. Creation's amazing. It shouts to us about the glory of God. God then speaks uh, in words, in words that we can understand. Isn't that amazing that we have a God who wants to speak to us in ways that we can understand and appreciate and that he wants to speak our language. He wants to be able to get into our heads. He's, it's, a, it's a bit like, I don't know, it's a bit like you trying to have a conversation with a woodlass or a beetle. It's going to be hard, isn't it? Because what, what can you say to a woodlass or a beetle that the beetle's going to understand? But, and, and that's only a tiny comparison of, of the difference between us and God. But the Bible celebrates that, that God, because he loves us so much, and says wants to bring himself down to the size of the woodlass or the beetle, which of course he does when he comes as Jesus, when he comes in the form of a human being, so that he can speak words that we can hear and that we can understand and that we can appreciate and that we can, we can know are true. And part of the reason we know they are true because they're coming from Jesus, someone who is a human being like us, who's tempted in all the ways that we are, who shares our griefs, but is still able to speak that truth to us. So the psalm could have ended there. God speaks in creation. God speaks through his words. But there's one last section. And the third and the final section of the psalm is personal. And it's responsive. There's no more big skies. There's no more God speaks in different ways. Now, it's all about me. And it's all about whether I am willing to pick out or to tune in to God's voice. The airwaves of our culture and our world are crowded. And even the voice of God can be drowned out by other things that are going on. And so this personal response at the end is, is the psalmist saying, I believe in a God who speaks, and now I want to hear what God says. And the psalmist talks about a couple of particular things. Firstly, that there are still things that they haven't heard from God. God longs to warn me and to keep me from harming myself and to keep me from harming others and to spur me on to sacrificial sacrifice. That's what God wants for me. But I have gaps in what I hear both from the world and in the Bible. There is a deep-seated self-centeredness in me that drowns out God's voice, doesn't want to hear what he's saying to me. And the psalmist describes these as their hidden faults, the things that they just can't hear about themselves. And the only way that that is solved is through careful and attentive listening to God. It takes practice. It takes time. You have to sit quietly by yourself and ask the Spirit to guide you and ask the Spirit to speak to you and ask the Spirit to open God's word to you. It won't happen in a hurry. It has to happen quietly and unhurriedly. But there are also things, secondly, that I hear clearly from God and I choose to ignore 
and you may be the same. The problem is not that we, do we hear from God or don't we hear from God. The problem is that I do hear from God and either I don't trust that he wants my best or I don't want the sacrifice or the pain of facing up to the bits of me that are lost and broken or difficult or twisted or damaged. And the psalmist describes these as my willful sins, the things that I keep on doing, even though that I know in my heart they are wrong. I just keep on going. I've heard from God, but I don't want to act on what I've heard. Those of us who wonder at the extravagant expanse of God's creation, those of us who listen to God's word, we're not uncomfortable with this talk of hidden faults or of facing up to our willful sins. We welcome it because we believe they come from the king, the king of creation and the king of communication who wants to be heard by us. So the psalm ends with this wonderful prayer. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is such a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer to consecrate, to make holy the whole of our lives before God. The psalmist knows so much about God through creation, through his word. The psalmist experiences in worship the cleansing, the empowering of God that compares it to sort of being out in the bright sun. When they've had that experience, they can now pray for God's truth to be reflected in their words and in the thoughts that lie behind their words. So in 14 verses only, we've gone from gawping at sunsets and night skies, a spectacle in which God speaks with clarity and abundance, uh, to thinking about how God speaks through the Bible, now to praying that our words, our words, the words we use to worship, the words we use in friendship, the words we use uh, to struggle and strive for justice in God's world, our words of care, our words of love, our words of service. We end up praying that our words would echo the beautiful song of creation and the beautiful song of love that we read in the Bible. It is fabulous, this psalm. And I hope that it has maybe given you a couple of words or images to hang your experiences on. And it's given you a couple of conversation starters. Next time you're up at St. Catherine's Hill watching a sunset, or next time you're just walking past. Yesterday, Naomi and I, my wife and I, were walking past these bushes down at Livington by the seaside. And these bushes were covered with intricate spider's webs. It was beyond beautiful. And it gives us words for those kinds of conversations. With those of faith, we marvel at what God has given. For those who don't yet have a faith, we gently say, just look, look at this. Look at how amazing it is. Let's celebrate at the glory that we see. And let's ask ourselves, surely this points to a mind, to a heart at the very center of the universe that has given these good things to us. 
So let me end with that prayer in verse 14. May these words of our mouth and these meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.